There was once a man by the name of Adolf Stronsel, who lived in a tiny cottage nestled in the hills of Heisenberg, Germany. He was a loner, a bit of a hermit, who worked during the day at the Steinberg Piano Factory as a piano builder. While he worked, he spoke to no one, preferring to pour his entire focus into crafting the piano before him. When his work was through, he would make the long walk back home without making eye contact with anyone. The people of Heisenberg knew better than to smile or wave at him, and as people tend to do when they don't know anything about someone or something, they made up their own stories. Some said that a witch had taken his soul, and he was no more than a shell of a man. Some said that he lost his mother at a young age and hadn't spoken since. Some said he was formerly a villainous demon who had been banished to earth, and if he spoke, it would turn everyone around him to ash. There were tales upon tales. None of them were correct, of course. No, the real story wasn't nearly as magical as all of that. Not at first, anyway. From the time he was a young boy, Adolf had difficulty communicating with other people. He knew what he was feeling. He knew what he wanted to say, yet he couldn't seem to put the words together. Every time he tried, it backfired, often causing confusion, sometimes causing anger, always pushing Adolf deeper into his shell, until one day when Adolf was just 12 years old, he gave up completely. It was later that year that Adolf discovered the piano. His mother, who was genuinely loving and accepting of Adolf just as he was, never pressuring him to venture outside of his shell, had taken him to visit some relatives in a neighboring town. As Adolf walked around the relative's home, avoiding the threat of people trying to converse with him, he noticed something he had never seen before. It was a grand piano. It was majestic. With its proud stature, skin black as night, stark white keys like a bright smile grinning widely at him, Adolf felt drawn to something for the very first time in his life. He wanted so badly to touch it, but his mother had raised him not to touch other people's things without asking, and he couldn't ask, so he just stood there, staring at it, soaking in every visual detail. After several minutes, his mother peeked her head into the room, checking in on him as she often does, and she could tell that the piano had captured his attention. She turned to her cousin and whispered something, presumably asking if she would permit Adolf to touch the piano, and she must have agreed because Adolf's mother smiled at him and gave him a reassuring nod that spoke volumes. Adolf slowly stretched out his shaking hand toward the piano's keys, and with his index finger, gently pressed down on one of them. The resulting sound reverberated through the piano, through the air, into Adolf's ears and landed squarely on his soul. Goosebumps. Adolf looked down at his arm, finger still on the key, to see his hair standing straight on end. He might not have been smiling on the outside, but on the inside, oh, on the inside he was laughing with the purest of joy. He pressed another key, and it struck the resonant frequency in his soul. Another, the same, another, Another, and soon he felt as if he was truly communicating what he felt for the very first time. He became obsessed with the piano, or rather the ability to speak through the piano. Adolf's mother brought him back to her cousins as often as she could to give him the opportunity to play, if you could call it that. Adolf's approach to striking the keys of the piano was far from conventional. He wasn't interested in the classic paths for learning to play the instrument, preferring to find his own way and creating his own unique sounds. Eventually, the racket became too much for his mother's cousin, and Adolf wasn't able to come back. His mother, determined to find a way for him to continue down this path, the only path that had shown a glimmer of light in her son's life, 
managed to get him a job at the local Steinberg piano factory. Their neighbor happened to work at the Steinberg factory, and he explained to his bosses Adolf's unique traits. They decided to let him work as a cleanup boy. This didn't give him much time at the piano, but they did allow him to play during lunch breaks, when the rest of the factory would be empty. Over the years, Adolf watched and learned enough to work his way up to being one of the main builders at Steinberg, still playing during lunch breaks, still otherwise not speaking to anyone. As the years passed, those who helped give Adolf his start at Steinberg, including his mother, passed on. As they exited this world, so did Adolf's story. And so, the people of Heisenberg made up their own. Adolf was completely alone now, isolated in his own world, without anyone recognizing that his world even existed. However, his life was not without meaning. His world was still flourishing. His time playing pianos during lunch breaks at Steinberg gave him a bit of fulfillment, but the thing that really kept him going was a special project that he worked on in his little cabin. Those long walks back home to his cabin were filled with planning and anticipation. You see, Adolf had been working on building his own piano. Opening the door to his little cabin never got old to Adolf because it revealed his magnificent work in progress to his eyes after a long day at the factory. Over the years, it had slowly taken over his entire cabin. He sacrificed his table, his chair, even his bed, all to make room for this piano. Adolf's piano appeared to be near completion. It was a grand with intricate carvings across every square inch of its skin, even under the lid. It wasn't what you would traditionally call beautiful. It was magnificent, a bold affront to the senses, made from Brazilian rosewood and obsession. The soundboard appeared to be a harp fallen straight from the heavens. The strings glowed with an unnatural iridescence, almost as if there was energy radiating from them without even being struck by the hammers. Instead of the usual three pedals, there were four, one of which was still being constructed. The only thing about this piano that looked remotely normal was the keyboard. Every day, when Adolf returned home and entered his tiny little cabin, he removed his coat and hat, hung them on the wall, and stared at his piano for 30 minutes before diving in again on his passion project. As he stood and stared, left arm folded, chin resting on his right hand, you could see the wheels of his mind turning through his eyes. It was the calm before the storm. After 30 minutes was up, and Adolf had the night's plan settled in his mind, he would put on his leather apron, pick up his tools, and walk toward his piano. To see him interact with the piano, one would think it was alive. He approached it slowly, cautiously stretching out his hand as a sign of peace before gently lowering it onto the casing, where he would leave it until he had seemingly been accepted by the piano. It was a ritual that both he and the piano had grown accustomed to. It was a show of respect, the beginning of a dance that both would perform for the next several hours. Every good dance begins with an invitation and acceptance. Interestingly, Adolf hadn't yet played this piano. Sure, it wasn't complete, but it must have taken extraordinary patience and strength not to press a key along the way. To Adolf, this was a sign of reverence. The piano was too special to be played in partial form. The mission was clear. Finish it. Only then would the piano's song be truly as intended. To the naked eye, this piano would look complete. Let's remember, though, Adolf's piano didn't have three pedals. It had four, and one of those wasn't yet completed. It was on this last pedal that Adolf spent the next several hours. With great care, he attached the pieces that he had spent years crafting from scratch. 
Each piece contained a different intricate carving and possessed the same radiating glow as the strings. Each time a new piece was attached, all of the connected pieces, including the strings, would glow with more intensity. They didn't get brighter, but rather radiated with a faster frequency. As the final pedal was completed, the speed of this radiation seemed to reach a standstill. It now moved at a speed beyond the comprehension of the human eye, and so it disappeared. While Adolf could no longer see the glow, he could feel it. With a deep breath, he inhaled the energy flowing from his creation, and with his exhale, a smile crept over his worn face. His masterpiece was finally ready. He stood there in reverence, taking in the majesty of the final product of his life's work. For hours, he stood, inhaling the sweet energy of his creation, overcome with the satisfaction that he had never felt before. He didn't want to waste this feeling or this moment. He held on to them until he could no longer fight the weight of his eyelids. Then, just before the sun came up, Adolf lay down on the floor, right where he stood. He lay on his side, still facing the piano, still fighting the gravity of his eyelids as he tried to soak in every moment of his completed masterpiece's beauty. Bam, 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 bam. A loud knock on Adolf's door startled him out of his deep, exhausted slumber. His face was flooded with confusion. He had never had a visitor to his cabin, ever. Who could this be? Why were they here? Is it purely coincidence that the morning after he completes his masterpiece, someone is begging on his door? He can't let them in. He can't let them see. Climbing to his knees, his hands outstretched in panic, his eyes scanning the room for something, anything to hide his creation with, he finally decides on a course of action. He'll sneak out the back door, quietly, and tiptoe to the side of the house to get a peek at this intruder at his door. He removed his apron and hung it on its hook, careful to step oh so gently to avoid the creaking of his wooden cabin floor as he crept toward the back door. He slowly twisted the doorknob, gently stepped out onto the back step, and then kept the doorknob twisted in between his thumb and forefinger as he slowly pushed the door closed, only then slowly releasing the doorknob to its default state. His eyes scanned the ground around him as he planned out his path. There were dry leaves everywhere. It would be impossible to walk without making a commotion. His back steps were an island, and he was marooned. Should he wait the intruder out? Should he sneak back inside and try to answer the door without letting them see what's inside? He decided that the lowest risk option was to wait them out. So he slumped down on his tiny back steps, and he waited. In what felt like hours, the banging on the door ceased, and he heard the unwanted visitor retreat back toward the town their steps crunching the leaves more and more distant as their distance from Adolf's cabin grew. He waited another hour before moving. Finally, he stood. Still terrified and confused, he slowly twisted the doorknob once again, stepped inside, and did a quick visual scan to make sure everything was just as he left it. Satisfied that the intruder had not been inside, he slowly opened and peeked through the front door. He didn't expect or want to see anyone or anything, but he had to make sure it was all clear. When the door was halfway open, he saw a note laying on his doormat. The note, a single piece of paper folded in half, had his name, Adolf, scribed on the outer half that faced him. It was beautiful handwriting that reminded him of his mother's writing, each swirl crafted with grace and care. He admired the writing closely as he picked it up gently and walked back inside with it. He hadn't even opened it yet. As he stared, the admiration of lettering faded. As he stared, the admiration of the lettering faded, and he remembered the hell that had been his past few hours. 
He remembered the fear that had gripped him. He remembered the night before. He remembered that his creation was now complete. Now he receives a note from a strange visitor. This whirlpool of feelings was too much for him. He had to sit down. He retreated to the corner of his tiny cabin with his back to the wall, slid down into a balled-up sitting position. He glanced to his creation, then down to the note. He didn't want to open it, but he knew that he had to. The note. Adolf, I was sent by Mr. Fritz Becker to check up on you. Not a single person at Steinberg can recall a day that you were even the slightest bit late, and your absence has caused us all great concern. If you are ill, please let us know. Hopefully, you've already arrived at Steinberg while I've been on this adventure. In that event, please disregard this note. I hope you're well. I've long admired your dedication and passion. Frida. A wave of confusion that quickly turned into panic washed over him. Today was Thursday. In his obsession and exhaustion, he had completely forgotten that he still needed to go to work. He had never missed a day. This was sure to rouse suspicion. Before he could decide on the best course of action, a sense of relief took over. It wasn't an intruder. The visitor wasn't here to steal or destroy his prized creation. It was just Frida. Just Frida? He thought to himself as his relief turned into bewilderment. Frida was a beautiful widow who worked for Mr. Becker at Steinberg. Adolf had noticed her every day, but he assumed that she didn't even know his name. Of course, he had never spoken to her. He had never spoken to anyone at Steinberg, but she knew him. Not only that, she admired him. He was flattered. He was excited. He was overwhelmed. His distracted gaze turned toward the piano, his magnificent creation, and a switch was flipped. He suddenly remembered that his true life's mission was here, in this cabin, this piano, and it was now ready to put to use. Nothing else really mattered. Not his job at Steinberg, not Frida, only this. It then occurred to him that while the inspiration for the piano's design had come to him through his dreams, he was now at an event horizon. His dreams had only taken him so far as building the piano. He didn't know what was going to happen if and when he actually played it. To this point, he had assumed that the next phase of this journey would be revealed to him through his dreams just as the first phase had been. But there he stood, on the edge of the event horizon, unsure where his path would lead. He only knew one thing for sure. He had to play it. However, he needed to be sure that there would be no interruptions and no one around to hear. With Frida having startled his solitude only hours before, now didn't seem to be the safest time. He would wait for nightfall. Now, he would sleep. He would need his energy to play through the night, and maybe the next phase of his journey would be revealed to him while he slept. Satisfied with this plan, he returned to the floor to sleep once again, this time crawling under his piano. Once he was comfortable, he placed a hand on one of the piano's pedals, much like one would do while sleeping next to their partner, and for the same benefits, comfort, connection, and security. With a series of deep breaths, Adolf coaxed his mind to sleep slowly drifting into hibernation to prepare for the long journey ahead. The dream. Adolf slowly opened his eyes, feeling as if he had rested a sufficient amount of time. It was dark, which wasn't a surprise. He expected nightfall and had left his lanterns off to not attract any attention in the off chance that another unexpected visitor came prying during his slumber. This darkness was heavy, though. It was infinite. He rubbed his eyes and braced a hand on the floor to push himself upright, holding his other hand above his head to avoid hitting the piano that he had fallen asleep under. His hand slowly stretched upward, expecting to find a rosewood surface, but as it kept stretching upward, it only found emptiness. 
After passing the point where he was sure a piano should be, he thrust his arm upward in a desperate attempt to touch something, anything, but he touched only darkness. Still unable to see anything but an infinite black void, he quickly dove into a panic. His breath neared hyperventilation within seconds. He sprung to his feet using the floor, the one thing he could feel, and grasped in all directions in frantic desperation. Again, he found nothing. His piano was gone, and he was trapped in an infinite void. Defeated, destroyed, with the only thing that mattered taken from him, he collapsed to the ground and he wept. For hours, he wept, eventually curling up into a fetal position, accepting that he would be stuck in this purgatory for eternity. In time, he could weep no more. He had no more tears to give. Closing his eyes only brought more darkness, so he left them open. He stared into nothing. He felt nothing. He thought nothing. Then, when he had nothing left to give, he saw a faint figure in the distance of the void coming toward him. It was a tiny white speck that grew larger each second. And as it drew nearer, the growing size was accompanied by the growing sound of a three-beat pace. Butterbop, butterbop, butterbop. Adolf forced himself up into a sitting position and squinted to get a clearer picture of whatever was headed toward him. The three-beat pace continued with growing intensity, and the blurry figure slowly became clear. Galloping toward him was a stunning white mare with a mane that flowed in slow motion and glowed with the same iridescence as Adolf's piano strings. It let out a deafening whinny as it charged nearer, and as it became clear to Adolf that this mare was going to run him down, he collapsed back to the ground and balled up to protect his head. As the three-beat pace sounded like they would be trampling him any second, everything stopped. A deafening silence hit Adolf with the same shock as the mare's trampling hooves would have, and he let out a cry as he flinched in anticipation of pain. He wasn't injured, but he was even more confused than he had been since being trapped in this darkness. Where did the mare go? It was charging toward him. It sounded as if it were right on top of him. Now it had vanished? He leapt to his feet and scanned the darkness around him to find the white mare once again. Eyes squinting, he turned slowly in a circle searching for the white speck. When he had turned all the way around, his eyes locked with the mare's, just inches away. Adolf screamed and fell to the ground as he tried to run. As he frantically brought his eyes back to where the mare had stared him down, the mare had vanished, but in its place, a rocking chair, occupied by his mother. Adolf was on the ground, distraught and confused, but there she was, his mother, just five feet away. Focused on the scarf she was intently knitting, tears immediately began to form in his eyes, and he rubbed them, sure that he was seeing something that wasn't there. He shook his head, trying to jar the image from his mind, but no matter what he did, there she was. When he had accepted that he wasn't just seeing things, he began to push himself back up to his feet. His heart was pounding even harder now. His eyes were fixed on his mother, but she hadn't noticed him. She was still intently knitting. Before taking a step, he looked all around, checking the horizon for the white mare once more. When his eyes returned to his mother, her gaze was locked on him. Tears welled again. His lip quivered. It had been many years since his mother passed. How was this possible? She looked just the way he remembered when he was young. She was much younger than when she passed. She wore a dark blue dirndl and a cloak. And once he couldn't remember, she wore a dark blue dirndl and a cloak, one he couldn't remember seeing before, draped over the back of her head, shoulders, and back. Her head tilted, 
and she looked into his now blubbering face with motherly care. Adolf, she calmly spoke, just as she had always done when he was upset. You did it. Hearing her voice sent Adolf into a further downfall, tears now streaming, spittle now leaked from his quivering, pouted lips. You finished the piano. You did it. She spoke again with the softness of a mother comforting a baby. Adolf fell to his knees in emotional surrender. His mother slowly stood from the rocking chair, placing her knitting on the seat, and then turned back toward her son. She appeared to be around the same age as Adolf, but she still saw him as her boy. She slowly stepped toward him. Adolf's head now hung in shame for the tearful display he had let escape his face. His mother shouldn't see him like this, but he couldn't stop any of it. He felt her warm hand cup his cheek. Did you hear me, Adolf? You succeeded. Why do you cry? She spoke in a tender but proud tone, like a mother trying to convince her toddler that he wasn't in trouble. Her hand guided his gaze upward to meet hers. She held out her other hand for him to grab onto, helping him climb to his feet. Her hands were soft, just like he remembered. He stood and took a deep breath, trying his best to collect himself, wiping away the tears and spittle. She gave him a tender smile, her hands now reaching out for him to hold. I knew you could do it. Adolf experienced a wave of emotions, leaving him even more confused than he had been to this point. He was happy to see his mother, but he was also saddened, experiencing the grief of losing her all over again in a single moment. He was proud that she was proud of him, but he didn't understand how she knew about the piano, or how she was here, or where the piano went, or where he was, or where the mare had gone. He felt many things in this moment, but the emotion that overcame all others was bewilderment. His mother always knew what he was thinking. He didn't have to speak, and she never pressured him to, knowing that he struggled so much with words. I know you're confused, she assured, now grabbing his hands and holding them in hers, but I can explain everything. Adolf's eyes still welled with tears, but he nodded slightly, acknowledging her offer to explain. Those dreams that showed you how to build your piano? She spoke softly, taking care to not further excite her son's fragile state. I sent those dreams to you. Adolf's eyes looked down and to the side, searching his mind for any sign of his mother in those dreams, but there was no sign. He didn't remember much about those dreams, just that he awoke inspired with a specific direction about how to build this piano which was unlike anything he had ever crafted before. I didn't reveal myself in those dreams, she explained, answering the question that she could see brewing in his mind. You weren't ready for that yet, but now you've completed building the piano. You're ready now. His eyes delivered another question. Ready for what? Ready to speak, she replied with the same delicate touch, but this time with more finality. She sought to instill confidence in him with her words. His eyes flooded with more questions. How? What does this mean? What am I supposed to do next? She smiled. He was the same curious boy, just in an older man's body now. Just play it. Everything will be revealed in time. Her smile lifted her words with a tone like a parent telling a child to open a gift. He was still confused, but he nodded at her instructions. He would play it, but he didn't know where the piano was or where he was for that matter. This place is part of your dream. Still holding his hands, she looked around at the black void. I'm not a dream. I'm here. You can feel that I'm real, but I can only visit you in this place, and this place is a stage. Your dreams are all played here, like a theater production. 
When you awake, you will remember this. But all you need to know is that you're ready to speak, and your piano will make that possible. A tear fell down Adolf's cheek because he now knew that he must wake. He must leave his mother behind in this void. She released his hands to wipe a tear from his cheek. You will see me again here in this place, but for now you must go. It's time for you to speak. She leaned in and kissed his forehead. He closed his eyes, trembling with equal parts happiness and sorrow at the feeling of her kiss. When he opened his eyes to gaze upon her once more, she was gone. He searched frantically for her, not ready to say goodbye, but he did not see her in the void. Instead, he saw a bright light on the horizon of the void, like a sun rising, but it was much faster than the sun, and it soon filled the void with a blinding white light. He shielded his eyes from the intense beams, and at the moment that it felt as if the brightness may actually blind him, even with his hands shielding his eyes and his eyes closed, he awoke. He was on his cabin floor, underneath his piano right where he had curled up to sleep. No light pierced through his windows now. It was night, a black, still night. He felt the piano above him, and with a deep sigh he accepted all that had just happened. He had seen his mother in the void, and she had instructed him to play his piano. He was ready to speak. He slid himself out from under the piano, slowly standing as he dusted himself off. He lit every lantern and candle he could find in his little cabin. This was an occasion that would require more than light for the function of sight. It needed a ceremonial ambiance. With his cabin aglow and the tiny flickers of dozens of candles surrounding the ceremony space, he put all of his tools away. He swept the dust from the floor. He had to make this space worthy of the moment, and he had to make himself worthy as well. He used a washcloth to clean the dust from his face neck, and hands. He combed his unkempt hair. He washed his hands with the thoroughness of a doctor preparing for surgery. Finally, he was ready. He slowly approached the piano, pulling the bench back enough to slide in front, and he slowly lowered himself, pulling the bench forward to meet the bend of his knees. Once seated, he rested his hands on the leather of the bench, closed his eyes, and took a deep breath. He remembered seeing his mother and what she had told him. You're ready to speak, and your piano will make that possible. The image of his mother was burned into his mind. Every time his thoughts glanced her direction, tears welled. This moment held such gravity, he needed another deep, slow breath. His unsure hands finally arose from the bench, trembling as they traveled to the keys. They rested on the ivory and ebony of the keyboard, weightless. He looked up, closed his eyes, and pressed his fingers down with the gentle uncertainty. It was a beautiful chord, one he used often when he was able to tinker on the pianos at Steinberg, and from this piano it was even more beautiful. He held his fingers in place, soaking up the vibration that his piano collected in its chamber and released to him. He held, absorbing the sound and waiting for something magical. He waited to finally speak as the chord gradually faded into nothing, and he waited for a full minute even after it was gone. He did not speak. Nothing magical had occurred. It was a beautiful chord, but nothing more. Adolf was bewildered. What had he, had, what had he done wrong? He had followed the instructions from his dreams with great care, but it wasn't working. He remembered the magical glow that the strings had radiated and how the glow had increased in intensity as he completed the last pedal. 
That's it, he thought. He didn't speak the words, but the sudden widening of his eyes spoke louder than words ever could. A great cloak had been pulled from the mystery, and he now realized that the fourth pedal was the key to engaging the piano's magical abilities. He looked down at the pedals under his feet. On the far left, the unicorda pedal, or soft pedal, struck only one string instead of the usual three, resulting in a softer, muted note. Next to it, the sostenuto pedal held notes that are already being played when the pedal is depressed. Next to it, in what is usually the far right side, the sustain pedal removed the dampers from the strings, allowing the notes to ring out longer. Next to it, the fourth pedal, Adolf's enchanted pedal, was the key to allowing him to unlock the piano's ability to help him speak. Adolf understood the mechanics of the normal three pedals quite well. After all, that was his job. However, he couldn't recall the fourth pedal engaging anything differently in the strings. There were no additional dampers connected to the pedal, nothing that would physically engage the strings in a different way. Even though he had built the piano and crafted this enchanted pedal, he wasn't sure how it was going to work. With anticipation and now perspiration dripping from his brow, Adolf depressed the fourth pedal with his right foot. He took another deep breath, lifted his hands above the keys, and let them come crashing down onto the ivory and ebony with the intensity and force of a general sending all of his soldiers into battle in one motion. He put everything he had into this chord, a C major 9, also called the Heaven Chord. The piano unleashed an overwhelming wave of energy, Adolf felt this rush through his body, starting at both his hands and his feet, flying inward toward his center where the waves crashed together, sending his head flying backward and reverberating the most beautiful, heavenly sound from deep within his chest. He wasn't just speaking. He was singing. He wasn't just singing. He was channeling what sounded like a host of angels from within him. The piano's chord was more than a chord. It surged energy throughout the entire room, through waves of sound that were unlike anything Adolf had ever heard come from a piano. It was unnaturally beautiful, and the voice coming from within him flowed perfectly with its song. Together, they were an army of orchestras played by the soldiers of heaven. His fingers were still depressing the keys. His head was still thrown back. He had no control over what was happening. He couldn't let go. Even if he wanted to, he couldn't. When he was finally able to lift his hands from the keys and foot from the pedal, he collapsed to the floor and he wept. It was beautiful, but it had taken everything out of him. He was now completely mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually exhausted. Tears still pouring from his eyes, which were locked in a dead gaze. Body lying still on the floor in a fetal position, he fell into a deep, exhausted sleep. Adolf abruptly awoke to the sound of the mare whinnying as it had the last time he saw it, when it nearly trampled him. He sat up in a panic and searched in fear for the mare that might be barreling toward him again. He was in the infinite darkness once again. He stood to his feet, still searching for the mare, and as he turned nearly the entire way around, he was deathly startled to see his mother only inches from his face. He let out a sort of shriek, and she just smiled. It was the kind of smile that a mother makes when her baby has done something endearing. She held out her arms in an invitation for embrace, hands open and palms up, ready to accept his hands. Adolf wiped the tears from his eyes and laughed at himself in embarrassment. He felt foolish for being scared of his own mother. I'm so proud of you, my boy. His mother always had a way of delivering words in the most tender of tones. 
Her eyes soothed as much as her tone did. He immediately felt at ease and placed his hands in hers. His eyes still welled with tears, but these were different tears, happy tears. He wondered if he would ever get used to seeing his mother again. She pulled him close and wrapped her arms around him. It was the embrace of a mother and son who had not seen each other in many years, as if he had been mistakenly presumed dead during the war and somehow returned to her years later. She held him tight. He buried himself in her embrace. She swayed with him gently, like a mother rocking her baby to sleep, and held the back of his head as he nested into her embrace. I know that you're exhausted, she whispered reassuringly, but I can help you. Adolf lifted his head with a confused look on his face. How could she prevent the piano from draining him of everything? She took a step back and held his hands once again, taking the familiar stance of a mother who was about to teach her child something important. She smiled. You have to play the piano in front of someone. She delivered this news while holding her smile, but her eyes now conveyed concern. She knew that Adolf wouldn't want to play in front of anyone, but she also knew that he must overcome this fear in order to speak again. Adolf's confusion turned into rejection at hearing this. He let go of her hands and began to pace, shaking his head no. He wasn't comfortable playing in front of people. She knew that. Why would she ask this of him? I know you're scared, she said, reaching for his hands once again, and when she was able to clasp onto one of his hands, followed with, but it's the only way. He stopped pacing, looked intently at her hand, and then slowly brought his gaze to her eyes, delivering a look that ensured she knew how big of an ask this was for him. She smiled and gave a muted laugh. Oh, I know you hate this, and if there was any other way, you know that I would tell you. Her eyes now delivered authentic concern. She wanted him to know through this look that she understood, and she wanted him to understand in return. Adolf breathed in deeply and let out a long, defeated sigh that dropped his head and his shoulders simultaneously. His mother moved in for another embrace, a reward for his acceptance of this path where he had no choice but to face his fear. Head still hung in defeated acceptance, the next complication occurred to him. How would he choose a person to play for? He didn't speak to anyone. He didn't have friends. He didn't have anyone. His mother, sensing the arrival of this question, leaned back once more and looked him in the eyes to reassure him. Someone will appear who will ask you to play your piano for them. You simply have to oblige. Her smile at this point came with a sense of finality. It was decided. There was no other way. Come now, she said, turning away from him as if they were headed out the door to run an errand. It's time. She began to walk away from Adolf, but he knew that they were in an infinite darkness. Where would they be walking? He looked around for a sign, a door, something. But when he looked back to his mother, she was gone. And the blinding light that had once filled the dark void appeared again. This time, it didn't rise slowly like the sun. It arrived quickly, barely giving him enough time to shield his eyes, knocking him to the ground. He awoke on the ground in his cabin right where he had fallen off his piano bench, still in the fetal position, tears still streaming from his open eyes. He let out a gasp, as if he was just now resurfacing after being underwater for far too long, sat up, and looked around to figure out what was happening. He saw his piano, and he knew what had happened. He continued to sit there, rubbing his eyes to reset them from all that had just occurred. He stood, brushed himself off, looked at his piano with an understanding of what would happen next, and then began blowing out all of the ceremonial candles and lanterns that had illuminated his space. He had experienced enough speaking for one night, 
and it was nearly dawn. Bam, 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 bam! Adolf was startled awake once more. He expected to open his eyes to the dark void once again, but he was on the floor in his tiny cabin, and someone was at his door again. The flood of questions that accompanied the first visitor's knocking didn't arrive this time. He knew who it was. It was Frida, coming to check on him again. The last time she had come by, the first time someone had knocked on his door in ages, he had hidden and waited for her to leave. She had left that thoughtful note. He couldn't do that to her again. He at least wanted to assure her that he was alive and well, or at least okay. He pushed himself to his feet, dusted himself off, combed his hair quickly with his hands and marched toward the door. Outside, Frida was even more concerned than she was during her first visit. She leaned from the doorstep toward the window just right of the door, trying to catch a glimpse of activity to put her mind at ease. She was bundled up for her walk through the brisk autumn forest to Adolf's cabin. Her breath formed clouds of concern as she sighed. Her nose was a bright pink and her eyes glistened. She wasn't going to let the cold stop her from checking in on Adolf. Frida was still leaning over, trying to get a peek through the window. When the door swung open, she was so startled that she nearly fell over and let out an oh. Adolf lunged forward to catch her, bracing her arm to keep her from fully falling down. She looked at his face with surprise and delight. He helped her upright and she quickly straightened her appearance to recover from the near mishap, clearing her throat to regain her composure. Yes, well, thank you. She did her best to speak pleasantly, even though she was embarrassed. The embarrassment quickly disappeared from her face and was replaced with concern. She was relieved to see Adolf, but she was still concerned at his absence from Steinberg, and now that she could see that he was okay, she was a bit annoyed at him. Adolf, where have you been? What's going on? She asked the questions, even though she knew he could not speak to answer. She stared into his eyes while she awaited a response. Adolf pressed his palm to his forehead and then to his throat, signaling that he had not been feeling well, then gave a shrug. The kind of shrug that comes after an obvious fib. While his arms were moving about, Frida caught a glimpse of the piano behind him. He had forgotten to cover it before opening the door. Her eyes widened and her mouth dropped open. Heavens, Adolf, did you build this? She pointed to the piano behind him. Realizing that there was no turning back now, he sheepishly nodded in the affirmative, turning to the side to give her a better view of his masterpiece. May I look closely? Frida couldn't resist. It was unlike anything she had ever seen, but she knew that Adolf was a loner and that she was asking a lot of him to enter his space. She awaited his cue with an anticipated gaze. Without thinking, Adolf nodded with confidence, outstretching his left arm to show her the way, even though the cabin was tiny and there was only one direction to go. He offered his right hand to her, palm up, a welcoming gesture and a chivalrous utility to help her step over the threshold. Frida's gaze drifted from his face to his open hand. She placed her gloved hand in his and stepped inside the tiny cabin. As she stepped into Adolf's humble dwelling, she was amazed. It was covered in candles and lanterns. None were lit, but they clearly had been recently. Wax capes were formed on each candle. Hardened pools of wax dotted the floor, and there in the center of it all was the most magnificent piano she had ever laid eyes on. Every inch of its surface was hand-carved, and it had a certain magnetism to it. She was drawn to step closer. Adolf stopped her by stepping in front of her and offering to take her coat. Oh, yes, of course, thank you, she remitted in a pleasant but distracted tone. She removed her coat, scarf, gloves, and hat, and while Adolf was hanging them all by the door with great care, 
Frida walked around the piano, hands behind her back, eyes scanning every inch of its surface in amazement. When Adolf finished hanging her garments, he turned toward Frida and the piano. She was now facing him and smiling from ear to ear. Adolf, this is amazing. She delivered the compliment, making sure to keep eye contact with him so that he understood the gravity of her words, then looking to the piano once more. I would very much like to hear you play it. She spoke with a softer tone now. She knew that Adolf played the piano because she had listened to him while he tinkered on lunch breaks at Steinberg when everyone else was supposed to be off of the production floor. She liked to find a comfortable hiding spot to listen while she ate her lunch. It was one of her hidden guilty pleasures. Adolf was caught off guard. He shook his head and hands in a modest, no, no, no. But Frida insisted. Please, Adolf, I wouldn't forgive myself if I came all this way, saw this beautiful creation, and didn't hear you play it. She called in the reinforcements of her eyelashes now, batting them to wrap her words with intoxicating flirtation. His heart fluttered. He felt his body temperature rise three degrees, and the hair on the back of his neck stood on end. He looked to the ground, then back to Frida, nodding in agreement with a timid smile. She curtsied in excited appreciation and looked around the room for a chair to sit in. Adolf scurried to the back of the cabin, removed some of his tools from the single chair that he owned, and he brought it out to her. He placed it to the right of the piano bench, arms length away from the edge of the piano, and with both hands he motioned for her to have a seat. As she took a seat, he was sure to hold the back of the chair in chivalrous support. She had a grin on her face. His disheveled chivalry was endearing. With Frida seated, Adolf sat himself on the piano bench and prepared to play for her. He wasn't sure what he was going to play for her. He hadn't gotten that far in his mind yet, only just accepting the fact that he was going to play. He looked over at Frida, seated out of his forward-facing view, who was waiting with anticipation to hear how he would put this majestic piano to use. He grinned nervously, then looked back down to the piano keys before him. He lifted his hands above the keys, still without having decided what he was about to play, then delicately lowered them to the ivory and ebony, pressing a combination of notes that he didn't plan, but they were beautiful. Frida let the sound waves wash over her and closed her eyes, soaking in the full auditory experience. Adolf continued on with his unplanned melody, a delicate song, a tender journey through the piano's octaves. As he played, his improvised song began to build intensity heading towards some event horizon that he hadn't yet decided. His hands played with increasing fervor as his song crescendoed through time. Something inside of him was guiding this song. He played as if he had written this song ages ago and played it a thousand times. It was rehearsed, but it wasn't. Frida continued to enjoy her role as a passenger on this journey, allowing the song to reverberate through her body, grinning with ultimate content. As Adolf's hands played without needing the direction of his mind, he remembered his mother. He remembered the most recent encounter with her. He remembered how she said that he had to play his piano for someone to speak without it draining him, and how she said that someone would appear. He opened his eyes, staring straight ahead while his hands played on without him. How did she know that Frida would return? Had his mother appeared to Frida as well? He looked out of the corner of his eye toward Frida whose eyes were still closed as she enjoyed the beautiful song that his hands and piano serenaded her with. His foot slowly moved toward the fourth pedal, hovering above it as the song played on, continuing to build towards some moment, a moment that he now understood. 
As the song's phrase ended at the ultimate intensity, his foot thrusted downward on the fourth pedal, and his hand struck the heaven chord with determined ferocity. The army of orchestras flowed from the piano, and Adolf's head was thrust back again. The waves of energy flowed from his hands and his feet, just as before, and crashed together in his chest to unleash a heavenly song from within him. The whole cabin vibrated with energy, and Frida's eyes jolted open as she gasped in surprise. It was startlingly beautiful, more so than she had ever witnessed. Suddenly, her torso lurched forward as her back arched. Something was happening to her. Adolf continued his song, an army of heavenly orchestras pouring from his piano and a heavenly voice singing from deep within him. Frida was frightened now. She was frozen, unable to move anything but her eyes. Her back still arched, her mouth was now stuck open in shock, and she could feel something from within her being pulled out. She let out an involuntary moan as whatever was being pulled from her increased in intensity. Her eyes now streamed with tears. She was powerless. She could now see the stream of energy being pulled from within her flowing toward the piano. She could see the piano strings and pedals glowing with ethereal light. Adolf couldn't see what was happening to Frida. He was stuck in his own way, locked into the gravitational pull of the angelic song. More and more, energy flowed from Frida to the piano. The involuntary moan and tears continued, as what she could now determine was her essence, her life, her soul, was being pulled away from her. She was terrified, desperate to break free from the grip of this dark magic, but she was powerless, watching as her soul was stolen from her. Adolf continued on with this song, head still flung back, eyes still closed, hands hammering away at the keyboard while everything around him continued to vibrate with growing intensity. He was oblivious that Frida was being robbed of her soul, that her essence was the energy source that was allowing him to continue playing without being drained himself. The color drained from Frida as the last of her essence left her body. Adolf ended his song and opened his eyes just as the last vapor of life flowed through the air from Frida to the piano. He didn't realize what had happened. He only knew that he hadn't collapsed like he had the last time. It worked. His mother was right. He was pleased with his success and that he had given Frida a magical private concert. He looked down at his hands and nodded with satisfaction, then turned to look at Frida, eager to see her reaction to what he had just shown her. Instead of the awe that he expected to see on her beautiful face, he saw her lying on the floor, gray, lifeless. Frida was gone. Adolf jumped to his feet, hands to his head in shock. Tears streamed from his eyes and one hand covered his mouth in disbelief. He couldn't believe his eyes. He trembled with fear. What had he done? He slowly approached her lifeless body as a crying groan escaped him. He collapsed on the ground next to her, laying his head on the seat of the chair that she had sat in just moments ago while he wept. As he wept, he became angry at the world, at himself, at his mother. He threw his hands upward to the heavens and let out a primal scream. Why had this happened? His mother had told him that letting someone listen would allow him to speak without draining him, but she didn't tell him that it would use their life force to do it, that it would take all of their life force. She didn't tell him that he was going to become a murderer. Why would she do this to him? Why would she allow her son to become this? Defeated, he slowly made his way to his feet wiping his tears and nose on his sleeve. He couldn't leave Frida here. She deserved a proper burial. She didn't deserve any of this, but he would at least give her a grave. 
head hung in shame, Adolf dragged his shovel through the leaves in the cold afternoon light. He walked deeper into the woods until he could no longer see anything but trees, and he began to dig. With each thrust of the shovel, he cursed himself more. He cursed the world. He cursed his mother. He was so lost in his own mind that he didn't realize he was digging. For hours, he took his frustration out on the dirt below him until he had created a massive crater in the middle of the woods. Realizing that he had gone far enough, he climbed out of the hole, threw down his shovel, and began to trudge back toward his cabin, head still hung in shame, to retrieve Frida's body. When he re-entered the cabin, everything was just as he had left it. He had hoped that somehow, the horrific scene that was now burned into his mind would just vanish, but it didn't. Frida was still there on the ground, a lifeless gray pile. The bright cheer that she had brought to the world, to Adolf, had been stolen from her, and he was the one who took it. Adolf, his piano, and his mother were to blame for this unspeakable atrocity. He looked at his piano, and for a moment, he thought about taking an axe to it. But he didn't have the energy after hours of digging, and he still had to carry Frida's body through the woods to bury her. He would deal with the piano later. He grabbed an old blanket and draped it over Frida's body. It wasn't big enough to completely wrap her up, but he was really only concerned about covering her face. He didn't want to see her or feel like she was looking at him as he carried her through the forest and buried her. He was emotionally numb by this point, but he had enough wits about him to prevent further emotional triggers or trauma. It was bad enough already. With her body covered by the blanket, he picked her up and threw her over his shoulder. She was lighter than he thought, perhaps because her life had been drained from her. This thought triggered a replay in his mind. He remembered seeing a trail of energy flow from her direction toward the piano as he opened his eyes, but he hadn't turned toward her immediately. By the time he did, she was already on the floor, lifeless. Could he have prevented this if he had looked her way sooner? He carried her through the forest, with leaves and possibilities crunching along the way. He thought of every possible misstep, every potential missed opportunity for a different outcome. By the time he arrived at the gravesite, he was even more determined that his mother had led him astray, and he planned to confront her about it. Later, he slowly laid Frida's body into the crater that he had dug earlier. He didn't have flowers or words. He didn't even have any tears left to offer. He looked completely disheveled. She deserved so much better than this. He could do nothing but lower his head, fold his hands, and dedicate a moment of silence to Frida. After several minutes of being completely still and silent, he leaned down, picked up his shovel once more, and began to cover her body with earth. It took much longer than he had thought it might. He had dug so much earlier that the amount of dirt to return to the hole was daunting. He didn't have the rage as fuel that he had earlier. He was tired. His body ached. His heart cried. Finally, it was done. A small mound was now Frida's gravesite and only Adolf would know where she was laid to rest. He couldn't risk a marker or flowers giving away the site to any unsuspecting forest wanderer, so he covered it with the leaves, making it match the surrounding scene as best he could. When he was done, he dragged his shovel back through the forest to his cottage, exhausted and defeated. When he finally returned, he didn't wash the dirt from his body. He didn't take the time or energy to do anything at all. He just laid back down on the floor ready to face his mother in the darkness and ask her, why? He forced his eyes closed and drifted into an exhausted sleep. 
lying in the same spot where Frida had her life stolen from her just hours ago. Adolf was startled to attention by the deafening whinny of the mare. He was in the dark void again, but the mare hadn't appeared the last time he was there. He remembered that it nearly trampled him, so he frantically searched for any sign of the mare or his mother. He turned just in time to see the mare barreling down at him at full speed with a mighty squeal. Adolf fell to the ground, using one arm to brace his fall and the other to shield his head. Just as before, he was not trampled. Just as before, the mare had vanished. Just as before, he searched for any sign of the mare, but instead, he found his mother, sitting in the rocking chair, knitting away. Instantly forgetting the mare, he marched toward his mother, determined to get answers for what had happened to Frida. His brow furrowed. He approached his mother with visible ire. She did not look up from her knitting, but she spoke to him. I know you're upset, Adolf, she said in a tender, understanding tone. It was the only way. It is the only way. She looked up at him and laid down her knitting in her lap. I know this is difficult to understand, but you've begun the journey to truly speaking again. You can't stop now. Adolf was bewildered. What did her words mean? Did she expect him to take another person's soul? He turned away from her, hands covering his face in disbelief. She placed her knitting aside and stood, letting out a deep sigh and tilting her head as she said, it won't be this way forever. She stepped toward him, placing her hand on his back. Her touch made him weep. He needed his mother, but not like this. He couldn't kill. He wasn't this person. He shook his head, rejecting the idea that she was pushing upon him. Adolf, listen to me, she pled. Once you have thirteen souls, you'll never have to take another, and you'll be able to speak forever, to sing, forever. He turned toward her, his eyes wide, his face in utter distress. Thirteen? The words left his mouth before he realized what had happened. He was always able to make sounds, but words, actual words, had been nearly impossible for him. This word was as clear as the summer sky. He had spoken. The shock at what he had just done quickly overshadowed the shock at his mother's words. His hand covered his mouth. He was stunned. You see, his mother said with a hint of a grin. You're already on your way there. She held out her hands in invitation again, but he did not accept. Adolf paced, mouth still covered, still stunned, but the news of twelve more souls needed for him to speak forever was flooding back quickly. He wasn't capable of such a thing. His mother knows that. Why would she ask this of him? He turned slowly toward her. With great determination, he pushed his lips together to form a word and blurted out, Why? He shook his finger at her, demanding an answer. She looked at his finger like a mother would when their child had crossed a line of respect, raising an eyebrow as a warning. It's what you wanted, dear. It's what you've always wanted, more than anything. Adolf's face faded from stern to damaged confusion. No, he objected clearly. To speak, his mother clarified, not to kill. But there's a price for everything in this world, my dear Adolf, and I would offer up a thousand souls for you to have the one thing you've always wanted. She spoke with a certain level of pride in her willingness to sacrifice others for him. Offer? To who? He now knew that there was someone or something else at play here, and he demanded to know who or what it was. His mother looked down and to the side clearly hiding something that she didn't intend to reveal to Adolf. With a deep breath, she composed herself and looked back at him. All you need to know is that someone will appear and ask you to play. 
You simply need to oblige. Her words were short now. The tender wrapper that usually accompanied her words to Adolf was now gone. She was now giving him orders. He shook his head, denying the path that she laid out before him. If you do not oblige, they will find Frida's body and you will live out your days breaking rocks in a zucht house. She warned sternly. Adolf hung his head. It seemed that he was destined for a prison of one kind or another. His mother cleared her throat, resetting her body language and voice tone to the sweet and gentle mother that she had previously presented. I believe in you, Adolf. She squeezed his shoulder to punctuate her words with finality. Before he could respond, the bright light that marked the closing of his time in the void quickly appeared, blinding him and abruptly ending the conversation. He awoke on the floor of his cottage, lying in the spot where Frida had been taken from him, shielding his eyes from the blinding light that was forcing him out of the world of darkness to the cruelty of reality, a reality where he was responsible for Frida's death. He traded her life and betrayed his own principles, and for what? To speak? He didn't want to speak. He didn't care about that now. He didn't care about anything. He was now numb to both worlds, succumbed to gravity, defeated. He was an empty shell. And he wondered if maybe he always was. Something out of focus in his vision on the floor just inches from his face caught his eyes. He leaned back slightly to bring it into focus. It was a single long hair, dark with several turns. It once played a part as a member of a big, beautiful curl. But now... It was alone. It was lost, abandoned, numb to the world. It was all that remained of Frida. He wanted to cry, but he had no tears left. He had no sorrow left. He had no hope. And without hope, he had nothing to give at all. It was deep into the night now. Without moving, Adolf's mind replayed what his mother had said over and over. Twelve more souls for him to speak forever. He wouldn't do it. He couldn't. She said, offer up, but wouldn't explain. Offer to who? To what? She said that he can't stop now. Would something terrible happen if he did? She said, if you do not oblige, they will find Frida. Who will find her? How? Was his mother threatening to tell someone? Was she being coerced by the person or thing that the souls were being offered to? How was this happening to him? To his mother? How was she capable of asking these things of him? She wasn't. He knew that in his bones. Either someone or something was forcing her to play along, or it wasn't his mother at all. Hey, Dusty Thunder here, and I wanted to thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that content, and if you did, please make sure to like, subscribe, and most importantly, share. Also, you can find swag and so much more at dusty-thunder.com and you'll find even more content on all of our platforms. We're on TikTok, YouTube. We now have an official Facebook page that we'll be posting stories to as well. We have podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and so much more. You can see all of our content platforms on Linktree, which is linked in my bio. Engage with us wherever you're enjoying content and do your best to avoid the astronauts today. Thanks again.